it's uh, so far so good um it's all that baffling advice you know um do you open your windows of a morning do you open your windows of an afternoon do you not open your windows at all uh, do you have your curtains drawn when do you have your curtains drawn so yes there appears to be a, a fair amount of conflicting evidence and and information you know should you wear a snorkely parka should you not wear a snorkely parka don't know i did see different approaches to uh, um, coping with the heat yesterday up in headingley um one of which was to sit in blazing sunshine drinking cider <laughs> uh, we've not seen the results of that yet <laughs> are you likely to or is it going to be one of those bodies that appears in the morgue uh, it's it's not going to be a uh, um, a pretty sight, some lobster man that they will that they will have later on. Um, yeah, because we are told to to stay away from alcohol in this weather. Mm. Um, although I did have a glass of white wine last night because I I was using white wine in a recipe. Oh right, a chicken chili and orzo um, uh, meal, which just give just a little bit of white wine in there. Yeah, have you got cold drinks with you? have i have got a, i've got a little bottle of water here uh, and i've got uh, but as you can see not my white wine it's about 32 here according to um, the weather on my pc it says 27 degrees scorchio <laughs> i need to change the language setting i think on my pc <laughs> one of the things i need to tell listeners because by the time they hear this they won't be able to see or even hear the first three episodes on buzzsprout because Buzzsprout only allow you about six hours at any time of content. Uh, and so I've been receiving emails saying, warning, episode one will be deleted. You have 21 hours to comply. And the same with episodes two and three, which of course we have taken the uh, precaution of backing up on the SoundCloud channel. So if anyone wants to start from the very beginning, they need not worry because they can find it in the archive along with the review show. Surely, though, to, to have the, the, the feeling, the immediate um, kind of experience of, of old school TV, we should be wiping our earlier tapes to re-record over the top with, a, with newer ones, shouldn't we? Oh, yes, because uh, cyberspace is very expensive and has to be reused. Yes, yes. So we, we, you know, take those clean, take those tapes to the dry cleaners, um, bring them back and we can reuse them over again. Uh, much like the BBC did um, with, with many, 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 many series. Yes. And well, it wasn't just uh, the BBC, because I think a lot of the videotape stuff from uh, the ITV companies also uh, disappeared. Um, when I've been investigating things like armchair theatre and uh, stuff like that, because we're going to talk about, amongst other people, Sidney Newman. The number of things on IMDb have said, this series is believed lost, oh. believed wiped. And I think we ought to return to some of those because we could say anything about them. You could, indeed, you could make series up, couldn't you, and say, and say that, oh, yeah, tragically, all the tapes were wiped and everyone involved in it are now dead. <laughs> And so the B, your skin, did that, did that series exist? Like Tartananigans, the, the Scottish children's show. Yes, yeah. Just go, what tragedy, that's no longer there. Yes, and if somebody was foolish enough to try and 
remake it in audio. <laughs> mm, yes, yeah, with, with some animation laid over the top. That might have legs, Dave. Uh, I think we should look into it. Let the madness begin. Welcome to episode 11 of Rose Tinted Black and White Television. I'm Guy Morgan. My co-host is David Newell. Hello. This is where we look at the golden age of British television, uh, which is from 1956, Suez, to 1974, the three-day week. And the review show has a preponderance of episodes of The Saint, which is unspooling, as Dave puts it, on Talking Pictures Television, the black and white series. We're now into series two. And uh, if you want to listen to what we have to say about the elusive Elshaw, uh, you'll have to tune in to our review show, which will magically appear in a reasonable space of time on our SoundCloud channel. But this is the main showcase edition, and today we're talking about how Canadians changed British television. We decided that actually concentrating on three of them might be a good idea, but Previously, Dave, when we've talked about episodes of The Saint, even the ones not set in Canada, there were quite a few Canadian participants, aren't there? Yes, it does seem to be, you know, it does seem to be a, a popular trope to have. Maybe it's that, that Commonwealth connection. I'm not quite sure. I'd, I'd imagine one of the major things which, which seem to work, you know, we, we talk more about the performers rather than some of the backstage people, which I know we're going to get to as well, is... You know, despite during World War Two, uh, World War Two, big influx of Americans and Canadians within to the to the UK, some of whom you know eventually settled here as well, is maybe the uh, the, the British television ear of the 1960s may not be able to tell the difference to the untrained ear. May sound oh, that, oh God, who's that American actor? And you eventually find out that they are Canadian. I mean, it's you know, worked over the other side of the pond, you know, for people like William Shatner and, and Michael J. Fox. So over this side, we had people uh, like David Bauer, who we've, we've spoken about, you know, did the voiceover start for the, the champions and has appeared in, you know, a couple of episodes of The Saint. But there would be those those actors who would be called upon to, to act the part of an American. And if you dug a little deeper, you invariably found out, wait a minute, them's Canadians. Yeah, and for example, um, in Judith, which after all was set in Canada, John McLaren is a Canadian, Robert McLeod and Ronald Wilson, and of course David Bauer again, were all kind of regulars in, in British television. So, now, when you talk about the difference between an American accent and a Canadian accent, Dave, because you have... Mm -hmm a unique ear for this sort of thing. How would you <laughs> differentiate? It always seems to be, maybe it's the lazy one, um, like in the film of South Park, Bigger and Better, where there, there is the song, the Oscar-nominated song, Blame Canada. And the idea is that one of the big differences is Canadians are always talking about something, um, about how kind of like, um, and culturally in, in Canada, you, you, you have your Canadian states and then you have your French Canadian states. Uh, and I remember kind of reading years ago is is that within the Canadian cultural system, it was Newfoundlanders who were viewed as as being the butt end of jokes within Canada. A Saskatchewan and uh, um, a Montreal and a, a Newfoundlander go into a bar. And it was invariably the Newfoundlander 
who would do something a bit silly and stupid. Right. I think there's probably a correct pronunciation of... Is it Newfoundlander? Is it Newfoundlanders? Oh. Newfoundlanders? Newfoundlanders. Quite possibly. Um, Our Canadian listeners can get in touch with us and... uh, put us straight there are other pronunciations available on other podcasts i think one of the reasons behind the fact that canada was such uh, a rich hunting ground for british film and tv is because as you say there were a lot of canadians came over and the royal air force the royal canadian air force they very fierce fighting during the second world war and if i remember rightly they even had their own beach during d-day so when you look at it canada kind of punched above its weight because it probably only had about half the population of uh, of the uk and were extremely valuable to defeating the nazis so that's a big plus in my book but the other thing you have to remember is that there was a very strong film culture in Canada. I mean, the documentaries and the National Film Board of Canada and stuff like that. So I think that probably was a very good nursery for quite a few people. Well, yeah, I suppose a good example of that would be Donald Sutherland. Yes. Uh, He studied, I think he was at RADA, wasn't he, in the early early mid-60s and carved out quite a career, a little British career for himself. Uh, I think he turns up in an episode of The Champions. You know, he was in uh, Billion Dollar Brain. He did t- turns up in all kinds of like little tiny parts. Um, the Avengers Point. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, he he would have done, you know, a fair a fair amount and just like, well, he sounds American. Let's use him. And he's quite big and tall, so he, he can play sinister parts, like in that in the Hammer film, um, Fanatic, uh, and uh, the Dirty Dozen uh, as as well and then obviously catapulting to to hollywood big stardom at the beginning of the 70s through like mash and clute steel yard blues and things like that i thought you've forgotten kelly's heroes <gasps> yeah kelly's all those negative waves so on the acting front yes i mean there's the commonwealth connection you arrive in the mother country and uh, you go to rada and because you sound american you can get all these parts on stage and in television but probably the preeminent product of that culture was a man called Sidney Newman now what do you know about Sidney Newman Dave right I know one thing for a fact about Sidney Newman he was Canadian (laughs) right let's just briefly nip through his CV because anyone who's not familiar with him will be astonished about the impact he had on British television. Before he came to Britain, he was a graphics artist uh, to start off with and used to design film posters. And he nearly got a job with Walt Disney down in California and he couldn't get a work permit. So he went back to Canada, struggled a bit with the film posters, then went into film production during the war. And John Grierson, who is the famous documentary maker, Canadian documentary maker and film pioneer made him a producer he then moved into television first with sports outside broadcasting and then he suddenly got captivated by the idea of drama he didn't know much about it which when you think about it uh, the sort of impact he made maybe that was a good thing um 
So he became supervisor of uh, drama production for the CBC. And he started encouraging a new wave of young writers, including Ted Kotcheff and Arthur Haley. Wow. Uh, Arthur Haley. Is that Arthur Haley like hotel and airport Arthur Haley? And is that Ted Kotcheff who directed First Blood, Ted Kotcheff? I believe so. So Sidney Newman oversaw such shows as the popular General Motors Theatre, and several of those were sold to the UK, and they were bought by the BBC, including Arthur Haley's Flight into Danger. Which was the basis, uh, and for those of you who have seen Flight into Danger, which is very tense if you've if you watched it, you know, if you've watched it cold, it's, it's very tense. But if you've watched Airplane, where Airplane does use an awful lot of dialogue and situations from Flight into Danger, which I think got rebooted as a zero hour. Um, uh, you will snigger. You will laugh at it today. There's no way around it. But that's usually the way with things that are pioneering that have never been done before. Mm. It might be sacrilege to say it. It can also work in reverse with uh, something like Monty Python, which is funny because it had never been done before. And yeah. when you watch it again... Mm. <laughs> Mm, yeah, right, okay. Funny at the time. Yeah, uh, well, it lasted about 30 years, and then uh, I know that there are an awful lot of studio managers out there who will shout sacrilege and will want to do the whole dead parrot sketch verbatim with hand movements, which is um, perfectly fine. They're entitled to do that, just not every time I walk into a studio. So those productions appearing on the BBC... Sidney Newman gained a reputation in the UK and Howard Thomas, who was managing director of ABC Weekend TV, that's the company that owned various franchises around the country and particularly for the weekend. And Howard Thomas offered Sidney Newman uh, a job. So he moved to Britain in 1958 and became ABC's head of drama. And he brought a lot of people with him. And uh, according to the Never Wrong Wikipedia, in 1975, the head of drama at the CBC then, John Hirsch, noted that the tendency of so many writers and directors following Newman to the UK in the 1950s and never going back to Canada had a detrimental impact on the standard of subsequent Canadian television drama. There, oh, what a no! So there, loss is our gain. And... We'll find out what we gain from Sidney Newman because he arrived at ABC and there was this thing called Armchair Theatre and he decided that he was going to hire new up-and-coming thrusting writers as he had done in Canada. And he picked such unknowns as Alan Owen, Harold Pinter and Clive Exton. Oh, what? Like, what are those three going to do? <sighs> and the idea was really that these people would be writing things that were specifically meant for television because in the particularly on the BBC they would be retreading old theatre plays. Ibsen was very popular as as a, a way of doing it. Master Builder, John Gabriel Bortman, Pillars of Society. Couldn't get enough of it. Um and apparently it's one of the reasons he's very popular on radio. But whether Henrik Ibsen realised he was writing for radio at the time when he was when he was doing his uh, uh, his play scripts, I don't know. But certainly, as you said at the at the beginning of, of both for radio and for TV, it's just like get me the latest Ibsen. 
What is it? Was it the wild goose? No, no, that's no. There's the wild duck. Oh. Um, there's a wild duck. There's Hedda Garbler. John, G- um, I said John Gabriel Walkman Doll's House. Yeah, he, he he just seemed to fit into that idea of very good TV drama because they'd usually be um, quite long and loads of characters and lots of false facial hair. Mm-hmm. Now S- Sydney Newman didn't want to put up with all of that because he came in and they'd just been looked back in anger. So there were lots of angry young men. The working class was quite exotic and the standard sort of thing, which you also tend to see in the sort of black and white quota quickies that you, um, are being shown on Talking Pictures TV, some of which are sort of thrillers, but there is quite a lot of anyone for tennis kind of thing. And Sidney Newman's basically said, oh, to hell with the upper classes, they don't even own TVs. The ordinary Joe, um, and I include myself in that, we want all things. I want to laugh the Beverly Hillbillies, and I want to think, and I want to be made to cry, and I want to be made to laugh. And all these things comes from the total diet of television fare, if the television fare is properly balanced. So he was commissioning these things for Armchair Theatre. He was also creating not just single plays, but series. And we'll get on to the definitions of that. For example, in 1960, he devised a thriller series for ABC called Police Surgeon, starring (coughs) Ian Hendry. And Police Surgeon didn't run very long. There was a kind of legal snarl-up between the guy who wrote it and the guy (coughs) who was giving him all the gen about being a police surgeon, who quite fancied himself as being a writer and wanted billing and wanted to write the scripts. And for all I know, he might have wanted to write the theme tune as well. (laughs) ABC weren't having this and they they just scrapped it. But they had Ian Hendry as a star who was quite popular with uh, the female audience. I thought, we need something else. So they decided that he would play another doctor whose fiancée was mysteriously murdered. And then this other mysterious stranger comes into his life and helps him avenge the death of his fiancée. That's almost like that could be a title, couldn't it? That could be, you can see where that title came from. Dead fiancée. But is that why they changed it to the Avengers? Uh, Yes, I think so. I mean, the Avengers... All right. Yeah, if you you say, once you say it out loud, you realise it's not a good one. No. I dead fiancée. No, it doesn't have the same kind of legs and uh, ability to morph as Mm. a title like The Avengers. So the rest is history as regards that. There were loads of other things. He did a lot of science fiction. Is it Target Lunar, Pathfinders Mm. to Space, Pathfinders to Mars, Pathfinders to Venus. Other planets are available, but they didn't get that far. He was obviously so successful at uh, pulling in the audiences that the BBC started to notice and they poached him to become head of drama and he became head of drama in 1962. In terms of size, we do about um, 666 separate shows a year. This is done by a staff of um, producers, directors, no designers, they're not part of my people. 
and their subsidiary staffs, uh, totaling about 325 people. Uh, the amount of money which uh, is involved in this operation is in excess of 19, 20 million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. They're not all originals, but I would say that uh, a good uh, 90%, 95% will all be specially written for television. They needed a program to fill in between the end of the sports programs on a Saturday and the beginning of Jukebox Jury, possibly a science fiction program. Okay, yeah, because science fiction would have been popular at the time. Yeah, uh, with an educational element was the plan. And, okay. uh, and no BEMs. Do you know what BEMs are? BEMs, is it bug-eyed monsters? Indeed. Uh, Sidney Newman didn't particularly like bug-eyed monsters, unless they got really good ratings, as we discover. So, if anyone really wants to know the kind of full story, which to me was very convincing, and get a taste of what Sidney Newman, his uh, production style was like, they can catch, is it Sir Brian Cox now? Oh yeah, that, that's obviously Sir Brian Cox, that's the Scottish actor, as opposed to the former musician and now physicist. Indeed, yes, it's it's the Scottish Brian Cox who plays Canadian because he can presumably say a boot. <laughs> and so he plays Sidney Newman and it's Mark Gatiss's adventure... In time and space. Or space and time. Oh. So that became Doctor Who. And again, the rest is history. There are other things he was responsible for, such minor things as the Wednesday play which of course had Cathy come home, The Newcomers, Adam Adamant, and The Foresight Saga. That's a pretty good hit rate, but also a very variable hit rate as well, because the Wednesday play would never have been kind of like shy of dealing with, as you said, in Cathy come home, perhaps a very uh, topical, very touchy subject. Yeah, um, and uh, there was a, a lot of contemporary drama, and that was kind of what he brought over from Canada. And it did become the kind of the nation's contemporary theatre. Of course, Cathy Come Home was shot on uh, film. And Ken Loach apparently had uh, extraordinarily good things to say about him and said that no one involved in television later actually had the breadth of ambition or the power or the political wow. now to do something as interesting. He was also encouraged people like Dennis Potter, the Museum of Broadcast Communications, which is in Chicago, and I've been to, there's quite a lot of American stuff on that. There's... Why would that? You'd have thought that there'd been a big influx of Canadians. But it does describe Sidney Newman as the most significant agent in the development of British television drama. And Sidney Newman's obituary in The Guardian declared that for 10 brief but glorious years, Sidney Newman was the most important empresario in Britain. His death marks not just the end of an era, but the laying to rest of a whole philosophy of popular art. Yes, he made British television what it is today. His legacy, despite how much has changed, lies in one of the things that he did administratively. It's in John York's book about story. One of the things that when Sidney Newman arrived at the BBC, he divided the drama department into single plays, serials and series. And that is a distinction that 
still carries on today. You will get that made-for-TV movie. A serial is a thing that has an arc, has a beginning, a middle and an end over a series of programmes. And a series just goes on forever. Right? I'm looking at... <laughs> just, it knows no bounds of space and time. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Casualty and EastEnders. So Sidney Newman was instrumental in creating British television. And when people used to talk about British television being the best in the world, it's arguable that Sidney Newman made it the best in the world. Because also, don't forget, he would have unleashed not only the writers and directors, but also producers, because um, Verity Lambert, through, um, through Doctor Who, that idea of uh, almost like unheard of, idea of oh, we'll have a woman produce this tv series yes i mean he he brought her along from abc and uh, where mm. she'd been a production as, uh, assistant and then basically dropped her in at the deep end and she was mm. the person who i think she went on to develop the newcomers and then was handed adam adamant which was another sydney newman mm. idea so yes you know one legend begets another mm. So we've talked about Sidney Newman. There is somebody else who has been mentioned before on previous shows, and that is Harry W. Junkin. What do you know about him, Dave? As I found out, he's no relation to, obviously, um, doer-faced British actor and writer, Tom Junkin. But obviously the way we have come into contact through this series uh, is obviously his role, his guiding light role for, for the Saints the tv series for him to to all of a sudden be in that role of you've used the expression before i suppose he would have been the showrunner of its day wouldn't he as well as you know an individual you know an individual writer where he worked on episodes of jason king or uh the persuaders or department s um i suppose his his way in would have been the saint gideon's way um m squad which was which is a big thick here piece of tv series which launched um lee marvin uh in the in the states uh, if that's the same m squad unless it was two series called m squad uh, but yeah he he would have then moved across the pond um and been the supervisor like i said for the gideon's way saint um and something called this doesn't sound too thrillery the befrienders no it does sound like something that should have gone out on a early sunday evening just before songs of praise yes yeah it doesn't sound doesn't sound particularly uh you know dangerous doesn't sound particularly thrilling I'm not quite sure what it is he would have set up a sort of template with with the saint of of an efficient uh, action orientated crime themed show uh, with a multitude of uh, locations so yeah, he would have been that 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 sort of that sort of driving force. I suppose you know, looking or because I know you've said this before about um, ITC series, um, the Saints had had the longest run of uh, ITC sorry series, uh, but yeah, setting up that sustainability, that longevity. Yes, I mean I think with the black and white series, certainly they obviously had Leslie Charteris's books and stories to go back to and then they had to start making up their own stuff when it went into colour so he arrived in England about the same time as Sidney Newman I don't know if there was any connection and yes as you say script supervisor well more than script supervisor and writer on 
the saint uh, and Gideon's way, actually performing probably the same kind of uh, role as um, Brian Clemens came to do on um, mm -hmm. The Avengers uh, after The Avengers moved into film. The way it worked on The Avengers was Brian Clemens looked after the scripts and Albert Fennell looked after the production side and presumably the way it worked at um, on The Saint and um, the other ITC productions is that Monty Berman looked after the production and made sure that no pennies were wasted and Harry W. Junkin looked after the scripts and hired the writers and then uh, filled in himself uh, as well. That was, you know, obviously very influential and The Saint isn't the only one. And we talked about what other things did he work on? Department S and The Persuaders. Well, S spun off then into, into Jason King. And he retired in the 1970s. Obviously, he's quite important and made a substantial contribution on the script side. We've talked about performers, Canadians, loads of actors came over. Someone who's not actually recognised, really, as an actor, but certainly was until he became one of our most beloved presenters during the 60s and the very early 70s, is Bernard Braden. Bernard Braden is uh, one of those polymaths, I guess, you know, one of those people that you may have a vague memory of, of things like the Braden beat, in which he, he seemed to do very amiable, um, topical uh, TV, did uh, by his wife, uh, Barbara Kelly. Uh, and he was just one of those persons that people who always seem to like turn up and, and would be a lovely, reassuring presence. But this isn't to take it away from the fact that he's also a very fine and gifted actor. You know, he was in one of the initial productions of A View from the Bridge, the Arthur Miller play, and also acquitted himself quite well in various film and TV roles as a reliable character actor. So he he had that broad range to it. And maybe, you know, the, the, the 60s may have been, uh, I suppose, that chance of generation when People were discovered they could do one thing and then they're asked, oh, can you do this as well? Uh, yes, I'll present this TV show. Oh, yeah, I can I can direct that. Oh, yes, I can do this. Uh, so he was, he was always kind of like that reassuring presence where, I don't know, I guess he's someone you could trust. Of course, he later ran into problems with that image and I'll, I'll come to that shortly. Yeah, he was a, a very affable, reassuring presence. I remember the Braden beat uh, when it came out because, as I've said before, we were allowed to stay up ridiculously late. It was no wonder you're such a troubled child, such a delinquent, stopping up late at night and watching television in his pajamas, watching people like Peter Cook doing E.L. Whisty on the Braden beat, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know if Jake Thackeray appeared on the Braden beat or it was later on, but it's Braden's week, which. Um, he also introduced, he also introduced Esther Ranson to the BBC as well, as a as a researcher and, and journalist on one of his one of his topical TV programs. And I think the nation has to be thankful for that. Mm. I think certainly when the unfortunate incident, because uh, the Braden's Week had become a consumer show, and the BBC were very touchy about people um, doing. Um, commercials as I remember it and I remember seeing it it was basically Bernard Braden just standing in front of a huge pyramid of 
I think it was stalk margarine packets. Okay. And he had one in his hand and said, stalk is down in price now. That was enough to get him sacked, basically. Um, as far as the BBC was concerned, he had committed the ultimate sin and he was cancelled, basically. He'd always had an abrasive relationship with the BBC, I think. And But that was the end of that. Esther Ranson basically stepped into his shoes as the presenter of something called That's Life, which was really the same programme, but without Bernard Braden. Thankfully, though, um, in today's much more progressive and multimedia society, there's no problem at all with individuals who, who run their own social media accounts advocating uses of particular products or lines at all. Thankfully, that's, you know, that's a thing of the past. There were very clear divisions. Yeah, you know, if, you know, if Ariana Grande were now to do an advert and say, oh, I've used stalk margarine to make me muffins this morning, it'd be no problem. No problem. Nothing. Yes, I'd like to see that advert. <laughs> there we go. Three Canadians who made a huge contribution and are at the forefront of the phalanx of their countrymen who yes, yeah. contributed to British film and television. So I think that we ought to salute our Canadian fellow Commonwealth citizens and say thank is you very gonna, much. Is that going to show up on a podcast? I'm not sure it is. You told me off for waving the other week. Um, I'll try and find a suitable song. You may already have mentioned it. So thank you, Canadians. And we will try and think of more nonsense to talk about uh, next time. This has been the shop window show of Rose Tinted Black and White Television. I'm Guy Morgan. My co-host is David Newell. This has been a Soundstage North production. You can catch up with this not only on Buzzsprout but it will be archived on our SoundCloud channel as will our review show of black and white television and we're barreling through the black and white series of The Saint which is currently being screened on Talking Pictures TV so tune into that to see what we think about the elusive Elshaw thank you very much good evening <laughs>